Good morning to you wherever you are and uh, our show brought to us of course by Brandt, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, anything agricultural um, that uh, you're in the market for then uh, please uh, by all means get hold of the people at Brandt who will be very busy and in demand in certain areas of New Zealand going forward. There's very little doubt about that. Uh, cricket this morning, we kick it off with uh, cricket with uh, former Black Caps captain Stephen Fleming uh, who's also been commentating for Spark Television on the uh, test match at uh, Bay Oval so Stephen will be with us very shortly uh, we'll talk to uh, Mr Ian McDonald who's uh, from uh, the Hawke's Bay Civil Defence Emergency Management Group uh, just on the uh, the extent uh, on a Monday morning report really of uh, what they've seen over the weekend and what they're doing and uh, how can we possibly help even uh, if you're listening in uh, an opportunity to help uh, Brooke Rusco, basketball commentator, saw him in action uh, last night actually on court uh, when the breakers uh, absolutely uh, finished very, very strongly over the jack jumpers and got through to uh, the final of the ANBL Championship Series. An amazing turnaround this season. Congratulations to them. Talk to Brooke after 10 o'clock. Uh, Graham Beasley and Ben Strang will be our panellists this morning. number of issues to talk through there. Uh, a couple of cricket teams uh, to the fore, or maybe not so much to the fore. And Vossi after 11 o'clock. Vossi after 11 o'clock uh, this morning in his normal spot. Talk about his pre-season games and uh, what he sees uh, coming up in uh, terms of uh, league in the next week or two as we head towards the start of the NRL. Uh, we'll have a stump smithy around about uh, 11.30 this morning. It's up to a hundy, 100 bucks. Uh, we'll get your text through on uh, double eight double three on what you saw with uh, the cricket in the weekend in particular. Love to read them out and uh, get your considered opinion on where we are at with our famed Black Caps. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Yes, so the Black Caps humiliated in the end by England, the football ferns humiliated by Portugal. The Warriors, Warriors given an early pre-season reality check by the Melbourne Storm. Lydia Ko wins a bucket load of Saudi money, and no one says boo. Yep, the Saudi money that's also going to sponsor the Football World Cup, or is it? Breakers uh, and Barry Brown Jr. provide the highlight of the weekend, there's no doubt about that. Hey, but folks, at the end of the day, it's just sport. Let's get real. It's a diversion. It's a bit of uh, light relief for a lot of people. It's not life and death. And in the days ahead, we will all be taught a stark reminder of just what that means. Life and death. <laughs> Well, Brandon McCullum, Ben Stokes and the rest of the English cricket team have taken another victory on their road to reinvigorating Test cricket and turning around the fortunes of their proud cricketing nation with the Barmy Army in full force at, and in full voice at Bay Oval. Stuart Broad and James Anderson dismantled the Black Caps with the pink ball. Broad took 4 for 49 and Anderson 4 for 18. The 267 run defeat, yeah, 267 run defeat. Uh, brings with it plenty of questions and concerns for the Black Caps and fans ahead of the second test in Wellington starting on Friday. Well, uh, man, uh, providing uh, expert uh, commentary, analysis for us uh, over the last uh, three or four days on behalf of Spark Sport as uh, former Black Caps uh, captain, successful captain he was too, um, and I'm sure just a little bit concerned at the moment. Good morning, Stephen Fleming. G'day, Smithy. I, I am concerned, but I'm concerned about you. How are you doing up there? No, I'm fine. Um, I'm fine. My family fine. My friends are fine. But we're we're not in the hot seat. Uh, we're in Havelock North, uh, which is a, has 
suffered a bit, but it's so far removed. Yeah. Uh, even it's only 20 minutes away from uh, where a lot of the devastation is still being uh, uncovered, Stephen. So uh, we won't know, I don't think. It's been about a week. It's coming up a week uh, since that storm. Uh, and I don't quite know yet how deeply, uh, how deeply they they realise uh, the impact of it. They're still finding things out. So, otherwise, uh, we we just got to get on with it. And that, that uh, I guess means um, for you in particular, anyway, uh, casting your eye over a test match that didn't go well for us. Can, can I go back to uh, the first afternoon? Team selection, toss decision. Bearing in mind the conditions, you were there. You saw the pitch. Did we do the right thing by asking them to bat in the daylight first? Yeah, it was a real tough one. I was at, out there in the middle actually with Mark Richardson and we debated it quite a while and it was one of those ones we, we almost gave that we want to lose it. There was definitely some moisture in the surface. There was definitely a, a case for bowling. Uh, and then you also had to factor in what would that do to the, the certain timings. And I don't, what I don't think when Tim Southey won the toss and bowled, I don't think he envisaged being batting that night, even if it had gone okay with a scoring rate of around about three you're sort of still in no man's land. So it would have been a good performance if New Zealand had had the bat in hand. That meant they would have bowled them out. What they didn't envisage was uh, England going on their merry way and feasting on some pretty bad bowling, which then gave the, uh, the, the opportunity for England to bowl at the optimal times. Could we have done anything different with our, our playing 11 uh, on the evidence that you saw of the conditions? Well, I don't think so. I, I think obviously the Trent Bolt shadow loomed large, uh, and then losing Jameson and Henry, it, it was um, it, it was pretty unsettled going into that 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 Test match. I think they probably uh, chose without looking at more domestic form. They chose a couple of players that they had possibly had their eyes on for some time. Uh, but it's always difficult when you're introducing two new bowlers, two debutants into an attack against a pretty aggressive England side, it was always going to be a challenge. So I think they were hamstrung a little bit, but, yeah, that would be something that they would have to review. Uh, the way the England playing Test cricket now, uh, Stephen, I think the whole world knew that they were going to come at us, uh, whether they rolled for 100 or whether they rolled for, or not rolled for 325 for nine, uh, 58.2 overs. I mean, we, we knew the tactics. How do you think uh, we counted them um, in terms of our strategies? We fed the beast, Smithy, I reckon, and maybe that was just a little bit of nerves. Tim Southey was uh, was good, as we knew he would be, but then the nerves and the uh, the first couple of spells from Tickner and Kugelein, and Wagner as well, the first two overs from Wagner were very loose and in, in, a, in a different role for him with the new ball. So there was quite a bit of change, having Wagner take the new ball. His first delivery was a beauty. After that, it was uh, it was pretty wide. Yeah, pretty loose, and it just gave England the opportunity to, to go on their merry way. Yeah, they were going to be aggressive, and one of the opportunities that lies within that is to try and tie them up and see how long they can stay patient for. It's something that teams haven't been able to do, mm. and it was something that I was looking forward to. I thought the discipline of a New Zealand bowling attack would test their patience, even if there wasn't a huge amount of assistance in the wicket, but we didn't do neither. We, we didn't extract enough out of the the conditions in the first hour and we were just too short and wide. Harry Brook was a great example. I think he had about 10 boundaries on the offside and only a couple of singles straight. So there was a lack of adjustment and a lack of accuracy in what they were trying to do. Where do you sit on the, the, the Trent Bolt side of things? I mean, it was one of the big talking points, particularly when Jameson pulled out, particularly when, when Matt Henry wasn't available. It was almost like an SOS call 
to a bloke supposedly who's just living down the road. Where, where did you sit on all that palaver? Well, my initial feeling was you got to put your best players out. You've, you've got to let the public and good crowd. You've got to say, well, great crowds that attended the three days. You, you've got to let them see New Zealand's best players operating, and uh, and the contest would have been better for it. The other issues, of course, is the New Zealand team went as a pass player, went to Pakistan and did Christmas there, and and, and committed to that and did some yards, uh, while Trent chose another direction. So there there is there was arguments both ways about moving forward whether you can pick and choose what series you want to be available for whether that based on your sort of personal setup or in principle um, it's an honour to play for the Black Caps and it's um, it's a privilege to do so so there were, these were the discussions that were going around and I really struggled to, to get a, a real fix on it Smithy on one hand I wanted to see Bolt there but I could also hear the the other side of things where picking and choosing where you want to play where it suits doesn't sit quite well either so I think it's a very difficult situation would I have liked to have seen Bolt there purely playing in England? Yes, of course I would. It makes New Zealand a better side. It makes the players a better side. It might mean that England wouldn't have been batting if our run rate had been so. Even if he didn't take wickets, we might have had a bit more control. So therefore, England wouldn't have been able to dictate the timings for the rest of the test, which they did very well. So, look, from a pure playing point of view, yes, 100% I would have loved to have seen Bolt there. Right, we get to the halfway point, and thanks to uh, Tom Blundell's excellent uh, Test Match 100, and he's developing into a hell of a player. Uh, the deficit yeah. is only 19 runs, uh, and then Stuart Broad cut loose, and um, he just kept hitting the timber, um, which is quite unusual when you look at a, a pretty accomplished top order to just see them all getting bowled. Hey, how did you read that? Well, I read it. I, what, I, what I was disappointed with, and there hasn't been much attention, there's been a lot of attention how England managed to, to bowl at the best times. Well, New Zealand had an unbelievable opportunity um, through that blunder innings of putting England under pressure at night. And we didn't take it again. There, there was a movement there for England on days one and three. But day two night, there should have been enough there to create some problems. And it's pretty much that parity once blunder was out. And we had a real opportunity then to knock three, maybe four of the English top order over and go into the next day with a chance of, uh, of, of keeping England down to a poultry score and dictate terms a little bit more but we let that slip and while there's been a lot of focus on how well England bowled during that time I think you've got to say we let a big opportunity go by not being good enough that night either to, to move the test back in our favour so that we could have batted it a better time of day and then perhaps when England were bowling on the third night the ball would have been a bit softer and then Stuart Broad wouldn't have gone on that run he's a great bowler there's no doubt about it mm. and the ability to, to bowl some of our top players you're talking world class players here uh, with very good deliveries on the third night of a test match was um, was one of those spells that he has done it in the past he's gone on some real heaters um, and even eight for him, remember back in the UK and, and fours and fives where he just gets hot. And he was a hot hand that night and he really showed the, the New Zealand bowlers in particular what to do and how to do it. All right, two other areas um, of concern, uh, just looking in from the, the outside for me anyway. The form of Henry Nichols. I mean, we all know what a crucial spot number four is um, for any Test match side. Um, usually it's one of your, your prime batsmen as such, Stephen. Uh, he's anything but that form-wise at the moment. What do we do there? Well, what, what do you do and what will they do? Henry Nichols has, has played for a spot a number of times. He played, he got 100 in Wellington um, a while back when he was being questioned. He got 100 again 
against South Africa in Christchurch where his spot was under pressure. I think they will stick. They will look for one game and, and see what happens. They've been pretty conservative with selections over the past few years. They will probably roll him out one more time. Uh, but, he, but he does get a bit flaky. It is a little bit hot and cold when he's on. He's, he's very good. But uh, fortunately, when he's off, he's, he is very off. So the two extremes, they need more from him. Um, will Young sitting there biding his time. So there is an option uh, if they wanted to replace him. But my gut feel is that they'll stick with him for one more test. What about the Bracewell option as the lone spinner? Um... Uh, that is of concern to me. We, this, this, and Stephen, we've been doing this show for mm, coming up to uh, two years now, and one of the biggest talking points or texting issues from is what about our spin bowling situation? Here we had a guy yeah. not that long ago got ten wickets in an innings, and now we're playing um, on a pitch which has uh, over the years helped a little bit uh, with a guy who's bound, been around five minutes. Is that just batting insurance? Well, it probably is, um, but you look back sort of over the five years, the method they used with being very successful was the, the greenish type surface and making some big headways with the, the, the big seam attack. So they have sort of pushed that spinner roll right down in the priority list given the conditions that were bowling on and the success that were, they were having. Games on Mount Monganui sort of suggest that development is now starting to hurt us or lack of development uh, or lack of tactic, because when you do get in a situation, let's keep in mind, if that test had gone into today, then it would have been almost a perfect wicket, a little bit seen throughout the first three games, and then it was starting to turn, and we would have been found out. That just having an off-spinner as, as your main uh, spinning attack is risky. Nathan Lyon does it very well for Australia. He's an exceptional bowler and has a great record doing it a number of years, but just having a, a an off-spinner is the only option it does limit the, the amount you can attack. So even though a spinner is playing in Bracewell, it's still used in quite a defensive way. So they have to go back and look at the basin reserve. What has been their, their mode there? Again, they're probably going to go back to that heavy seam attack. They're going to look maybe to bowl first. They might they might put a bit of water on it and say, hey, let's just, let's just have a bowl off and see if we can get our bowling um, a little bit better and then just try and back our batters to be a little bit more circumspect, better at playing a seaming delivery than a... Um, an ultra-aggressive England lineup that could be a tactic, a positive tactic they could use, but it doesn't add up well for, uh, again, for a spinner or developing spin again. So it's been a difficult period for the likes of Ajaz and, and East Sodi. They got a good run out each in, in Pakistan, which was horses for courses, and he did well, but it's very hard when you're only getting a test here and there. Yeah, no, I totally agree uh, with that. Do you think uh, the way um, that Brendan and Ben Stokes are strategising this and the players are, are implementing it too pretty pretty um, effectively. Do you think they're trying to, um, in, a, in a way, they're confusing a lot of um, opposition strategies? Because uh, I know for a fact that, you know, when you're, and you're a, you're a coach, a very successful coach as well in terms of T20 cricket, but you do a lot of homework on individual players and, and you look at the opposition players and you say, right, weakness here, weakness there, uh, field placings here, field placings there. But because it's a blanket attack that, that Brendan and Stokes are bringing, do you think we're getting a little bit blindfolded, a little bit confused over the, over you know the, the total approach as opposed to individuals? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. And I think you could almost call it bluff ball. Um, we both know Brendan pretty well, and there's often a little bit of smoke and mirrors behind that, that positivity can mask it, uh, some nerves and some anxieties. And, and look, don't... Don't get me wrong; they're playing a great brand of cricket, but there are big opportunities if you can if you can find the method that slows them down 
they're playing at such a pace. Look at Joe Root, for example. Joe Root, one of the most bizarre dismissals for one of the greatest batters that's ever played to come out and <laughs> reverse lap mm. two balls after Ollie Pope was dismissed. Now, that just doesn't add up. Even if you're trying to be ultra-aggressive, that sort of option-taking, it just sort of feels flawed. I'm trying to get my head around this new age of batting and, and what is the tempo at Test Cricket that these young guys are going to play at. It's definitely faster than, than our days, Smithy. But um, basic mistakes are basic mistakes. And if you're seeing a guy with 10,500 runs reverse sweeping the over before T and, and two balls after a, a, a guy's got out, to me it still screams opportunity. So you've got to go back to your disciplines. Forget trying to have funky fields and, and work out where you're going to attack these guys. Just have a spot and keep it boring. Go back to being really simple but really accurate with what you do. So they don't get anything to feed off, the batters in particular, and they then have to create. And I think you're going to see some outlandish dismissals at some point when a team is able to put mm. them under pressure. Because they've had their way now for a longest period of time, it's really um, it's created an expectation within that camp that this is the pace we have to play at as well. And they haven't really been tested to a point where what is our, what is our other mode if we do get in trouble? Is it to double down or do we have the, the ability to pull back and absorb? And They've talked about it. Ben and, and Brennan have talked about that ability to absorb pressure, but they haven't had to do it for some time now. So I think there's an opportunity within that. Well, you've mentioned that you don't uh, perceive uh, being too many personnel changes from the Black Caps because they are uh, a relatively conservative bunch. Um, you always uh, send teams to get uh, one more chance than a lot of sides from overseas. But uh, Matt Henry, perhaps coming back into the mix, surely that will help in terms of consistency and, and line and length and a little bit more experience. But uh, other than that, not much uh, not much difference, you feel, and on a typical base and reserve pitch, which I, I would imagine will help for a while. Yeah, I think so, Smithy. The question mark is who he would come in for. Henry Tickner and Kugelheim both sort of had moments without um, without tearing the house down. It's, it would be interesting to see who they felt was the uh, the better bowler or the better option, whether Kugelheim with a bit more pace and shock, but then Tickner was up in the, the mid-140s uh, and it's the last spell that he bowled. So they were both getting into their work and getting better as the test went on. So that'll be an interesting one as to who uh, who they decide will miss out if, if Matt Henry is available and comes in. He will provide some stability and some uh, expertise with that new ball, and that will mean that Wagner can go back to... Or maybe Wagner. Wagner's been so good, they might even look at Wagner, the way they, he got played in the, in the last test, but he's been so good for so long in that role, which has probably been taken up the spinner's role by bowling short and aggressive. He's bowled the overs that a spinner would normally bowl. So look, they'll, they'll go back to kind, I think, and, and just fit Matt Henry in. We'll have to wait and see who they, they fit them in for and then try and get back to the blueprint that serves them pretty well, although it's, it's well and truly under pressure now. Um, Pro-Am this year for you? You're lining up again? Yeah, I am, Smithy. Yep, it's a, um, it's, it's a week that I look forward to. I don't look forward to it with massive excitement. There's a bit of trepidation and the game is not in shape. <laughs> I've heard you're hitting a few balls around, uh, around the place, Smithy, after a, a long bit of exile, self-imposed exile. <laughs> 
sexy I have. But I have I've, I've been waiting for Michael Glading and John Hart to ring, but they just never do, Flem. They just never do. But that's okay. Hey, um, have absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate. Uh, it's been a long time. So uh, thanks for your expertise. Uh, I know you're 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 great mates of Brendan, and um, you're behind the scenes you'll be having a lot of fun over this. But um, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how we bounce back. Traditionally, we do we do bounce back. So and the Basin Reserve's been kind to us. Let's just hope it is. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Travel safe. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Take care up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Stephen Fleming there, folks, with us here with his conserved, uh, concerted opinions on where he sees it going wrong and um, possibly how we can counter it. It's it's not a quick fix, I don't feel, and uh, the next test is very quickly upon us uh, just Friday. So um, it will be interesting to hear from from you, Double eight, double three. A lot of texts are coming in already on the back of what Stephen has been saying, which is fantastic. Uh, love to hear from you. Double eight, double three. We'll be back shortly. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 8833 is the text number. You've been active this morning, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's uh, have a look at a couple of them uh, that uh, have just come in. Stephen just summed up everything that's wrong with New Zealand cricket. Why on earth would you give Nichols another go? What's the point? We aren't conservative. We are ultra-conservative. And no other cricket-playing nation above us behaves this way. Why can't we learn? Uh, look, uh, Henry Nichols, it's, it's been too long, uh, to be perfectly honest. Henry Nichols has played uh, initially some very good fighting innings. You know, but uh, those days appear to have gone, or certainly uh, seem a long way off the radar at the moment. And, and OK, you got a, a good delivery, I mean, but that happens. You know, people get good deliveries. But you look at the numbers, and cricket is a numbers game. His numbers are very poor lately, um, and we've got to win this Test match. It's not like we got out of it, and we, you know, because the others played very well, uh, and he was just a poor performer in, a, in the bunch. Uh, we didn't get out of it. We've got to make a change of that number for me. And uh, I think Stephen's right uh, in what he says. He, he's saying what he thinks they will do. Uh, but uh, for mine, for mine, um, uh, you've got to make a change there. At least one change there. I, I think that's 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 just uh, simply what it has to be. Uh, hey, uh, hey, they went to the Melbourne for the Boxing Day Test uh, back in 2019. We were dismal then. Nothing seems to have changed. But we'll go to the base and hoping for a win, but not getting too hopeful. Yeah, oh, I think that's a fair point. Uh, remember who the shining light was at Melbourne, don't you? Uh, Tom Blundell with his uh, magnificent hundred that he got there. Uh, hi, Smithy. Can you explain why the Black Caps tried to copy England with a high-tempo run chase? We had nearly three days to get 300 runs. It seems New Zealand tried to score them in one day. Is this a byproduct of uh, too much, too many versions of cricket, Warwick? That's a good point. Um, in terms of uh, players uh, playing all the fourth three forms and, and thinking that they can emulate what other sides are trying to do, this is a. Uh, there were some loose shots, um, but there was some very good bowling. Stuart Broad is a hell of a bowler. He's got a great record. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and we can't run away from the fact that um, when the opposition get it right and uh, we seem uh, unable to combat it at times, um, there's going to be can banning carnage. There was carnage there. There was carnage um, on a couple of occasions, and if it wasn't for one or two individuals, uh, that result would have looked a whole lot worse. Um, we'll continue to read your texts out uh, throughout the morning. Thank you very much for them. It's uh, 9.30 here on SCNZ.
Well, it's been a hugely testing time for the region that, that I call home and uh, a lot of hundreds of thousands of others do as well. We're uh, so proud of our beautiful Hawke's Bay up towards Wairoa, uh, Gisborne uh, and even further north. Uh, but it's at the moment uh, under siege, really. It was a week ago that Cyclone Gabriel hit New Zealand uh, and us in particular. Uh, and uh, since that point, it's just been a, cover, uh, a case of trying to recover and trying to discover things uh, about our province, which is uh, no longer looking like it used to. And this morning we're joined by uh, Mr Ian MacDonald, and uh, Ian is uh, he's uh, part of the Hawke's Bay Civil Defence Emergency Group, which is uh, doing some amazing stuff. So first of all, um, Ian, welcome to the show, and uh, on behalf of uh, those people around that are uh, relying on you so heavily, thanks for the great work you're doing. Uh, your people must be stretched to the limits. Yeah, thank you, Ian. Look, yeah, most definitely. And look, you know, we're always trying to do better, obviously. Um, a difficult situation, um, limited, uh, um, you know, the, the time frames and, and, and finding out things um, as we go sort of thing. Um, so, so look, you know, um, acknowledging there is, has been some great work and there will continue to be great work, but acknowledging that we want to keep on um, improving and, and, and doing better. Uh, Ian, I mean, uh, there's still so many people uh, unaccounted for that have not been contacted for over a week now. There must be immeasurable amounts of concern for those people. Oh, most definitely, and that is one of our response priorities. Um, at the moment, we're just finishing off the planning to get some multi-agency teams uh, into some of the more remote areas of, uh, of Hawke's Bay between sort of Tepahui to Tera and into Puterino. Um and, and 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 look, you know, we're now getting to the point where we need to get a lot more granular um, and and go up individual roads looking for individual houses and try and find people who haven't been able to connect to their communities because we've been dealing with the communities at this stage in terms of getting relief into those communities. Um, you know, and it, but at the same time, um, we've still got people who now have reconnected, um, particularly in our urban areas um, around Napier and Hastings and Wairoa, um, where we need to just keep on pushing in um, those those that rapid relief, the basic um, food and water and medical uh, into those into those areas. And but we're we're doing this at a at a at a what I call a macro scale. Um, we're not um, we're just we're just pushing stuff through. Um, NZDF have been absolutely awesome, um, and we're getting um, our our regional distribution hub at the showgrounds with food and and water, etc. Um, and 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 we've got a a huge iwi response as well. So we have got um, um, our Tihe uh, Māori order uh, working out of there as well alongside um, and, and making sure that we um, get supplies where um, we need to in terms of um, the iwi response as well. well in terms of um, uh, your ability to access these places, I mean, I've seen photos, I've seen uh, television clips, I've seen stuff on, on, on Facebook and other social media of the carnage in terms of the roads. Um, just how hard has it been to access these places? Oh, incredibly challenging. So, look, I flew up to uh, Wairau yesterday for a couple of hours to, to visit them. Um, you know, what I saw on the way, and that's the first chance I've had to get into the air, um, was just, you know, and I'm from Hawke's Bay like yourself, it was absolutely devastating. And this is months, months, years even of recovery. 
Um, you know, State Highway 5 through the Taupo is literally a dirt track at the moment um, through through most of that, from particularly from Tahirito south. Um, State Highway 2 is just missing bridges all over the place um, up to Wairau, and that, that, that fix is going to be, um, you know, 12 months or more um, till we can open up that. Uh, and so, and then there's a whole myriad of myriad of, of local roads, um, which you know are not state highways. You know, we're talking about hundreds of roads where there's dropouts, but more importantly, bridges. Um, you know, significant bridges that are just not there anymore. I flew over. Um, I, I, I flew over uh, the Tepahui area and down into Pukitapu. Um, Pukitapu, um, you know, look. Just, just missing a bridge, um, which has been there for years, well above the river. I would have never thought that bridge would have been impacted by the river. There's no evidence that a bridge even existed there anymore. So that's the sort of things that, that we're trying to deal with, as, as is our, our critical infrastructure people, um, trying to, to, to sort out the priorities, sort out the order, um, get, it, get, get the resources in here, um, daily bridges, etc. It will take time, though, uh, you know, and I just want to emphasise that to people. We need to be patient, um, but people are moving heaven and earth to try and get stuff done. One of the things, uh, and you know, which we take for granted these days, Ian, is the ability to communicate with people, even as, as remote as we tend to be from time to time. But that has been one of the major issues, cell phone coverage, power, those sorts of things. Where are, where are we at with those? Um, so, look, uh, the cell phone coverage is slowly returning. Um, those communities, more remote communities, we've had a whole lot of Starlinks go in um, across the region. Um, and, and, look, more will continue to go in as we become aware of those cut-off communities. Um, Power-wise, I suppose there, there is some good news around that. Um, overnight, they were able to double the supply into Napier, um, at currently, 73% of Napier um, has power, and they're they're pretty hopeful that um, over the next day or so that it should should be the should be able to get to to, to everybody. Look, there's always provisos on that. We're dealing with an, an emergency situation, um, but um, I think ever so slowly things are being sorted out. But the loss of communications in that response. Um, you know, at such a, a, a wide scale loss of communications. You know, we, we, we plan to lose communications, in, but we don't plan to lose communications across the, the entire Napier, all the way up to Wairoa um, and inland and, and down south to Central Hawke's Bay. Um, that, that, that is something which um, was, is totally unprecedented. And, um, but look, you know, the telecom communications companies have all been working 24-7 to get those um, services up and running and we're making progress. Of course Hawke's Bay is uh, very coastal and um, obviously it relies on um, the ocean uh, for uh, some of its bounty of course but uh, I read this morning where there's a a rahuri um, put on uh, Hawke's Bay waters, uh, all our coastline etc which is effectively a ban on fishing and seafood gathering for health reasons uh, as much as anything else. Uh, the site uh, I've seen on uh, social media of a flotilla of small boats floating up and down uh, the coast basically uh, looking for, uh, dare I say it, um, you know, uh, hum- human uh, bodies or whatever. That, it's quite concerning um, in that respect uh, because of course all the tributaries that flow into the bay itself. Yeah, most definitely. And, and look, the, the Napier wastewater plant is no longer operating. It got flooded out. So um, 
raw sewage is having to be pumped into Hawke's Bay, unfortunately. Um, uh, and, and definitely um, um, in terms of human remains and also um, you know, a number of urapa and cemeteries were actually impacted by this as well um, and, and, and it's now flowing into, into our streams and rivers. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that was a, the most appropriate thing to do given the circumstances. Um, uh, you know, police deal with missing persons who have, have no visibility over the exact numbers or anything like that, but there are still people who are who are missing in which I know police have grave, grave fears for. Right, uh, Ian, um, just finally, how can we help? Uh, how can people outside the Hawke's Bay area help? I mean... I know, you know, people have given clothes, they've given bedding, they've given uh, toiletries, they've given the basics. Uh, um, but what, what in, the, in essence, what is the best way to help? I think at the moment the best way to help, um, we have the resources that we need. Um, I suppose it's the coordination of those resources which are the issues at the moment which we're working through. Um, but really, um, there's been a few funds established by, um, there's the Hawke's Bay Disaster Relief Trust, which is which has been set up by the council's charitable trust. Um, people can make donations. Recross is the other one. Um, please, please um, any donations at the moment, please um, money because this is going to be huge moving forward. There's going to be a huge recovery requirement. Um, we've got Holmarai that had basically been wiped out, for example, and they will have to spend thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, so I think at this stage it is about um, getting. Uh, please, monetary donations is probably the best way that people can help if, if they're able to. Thanks. Well, Ian McDonald, uh, I know you're such a busy guy and uh, I appreciate the fact that you've uh, taken some time to just uh, make us a little better informed on the situation, uh, which is far from uh, far from uh, fully, uh, I think, fully realised. Uh, thanks for your great work. Uh, thanks for your time and uh, all the best going forward. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Thank you, uh, Ian McDonald there out of the Hawke's Bay Civil Defence Emergency Group who are working overtime and overtime overtime trying to help uh, and get through this drastic situation. And I mean drastic. Words like drastic, horrific. Uh, we use them on a daily basis and, and you know, we use them fairly loosely. Uh, these, these kind of words, uh, I think, are applicable to what's happened um, uh, not too far from here, but uh, certainly up the east coast and uh, certainly Auckland and, um, and Northland to a certain extent as well. But uh, I don't think the full picture is anywhere, anywhere near at this stage being realised, uh, point one, and revealed, point two. It's bad. It's really bad. 943. Parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Jameson, straight bowling! He's bowling! Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Well, great news out of Pahl this morning in uh, the bottom of uh, South Africa, beautiful part of uh, South Africa, just not far from Cape Town, actually. Uh, at Bowland Park, uh, the White Ferns batting first, 162 for three, with Millie Kerr, 66 from 48. Uh, and Susie Bates, uh, 56 from 49, the major contributors. And then they rolled Sri Lanka for 60 in 15.5 overs with Kerr taking 2 for 7. And uh, Leah Tuhuhu, uh, she took uh, 2 for 12. Now, the significance of this is, um, is the run rate side of things. Yes, they won, uh, but they won 100 runs, uh, which means that that benefits their run rate because their run rate was in a mess. Their run rate was in a mess. Now then, uh, we're going to hear... Um, 
first of all from uh, Mealy Kerr in the pre- uh, post press conference, and then um, I think Logan Swinkles has actually got the run rates or very close to the run rates, and he can give us an update on where we sit there. But uh, first, let's hear from Mealy. The rhythm looked good. Your batting rhythm looked good. Your bowling rhythm looked good. What what were you working on tonight? Yeah, I guess it was just nice to have a performance and get a big win there with the team. It probably was a tough start to the tournament to get that. So to get that win was awesome. Um, I think I've been probably light on runs, so it was nice to spend some time in the middle and bat with Susie, who's a class act. And um, yeah, with the ball at the moment, it feels like it's coming out really well. We've got Craig Howard, our spin coach, and he's done a lot of work with us with our. Um, young spin group and it's just I'm loving bowling more than I ever have before and I think a lot of that comes down to the work he's done with us. When you were batting with Susie there looked like a lot of mid-pitch chats about how to uh, play the Sri Lankan bowlers. Was that what you were doing? That was what we were doing. Um, both of us are a bit of cricket nuffies and we love talking about the game. So um, we both thought it was a pretty tough wicket actually in terms of it kept quite low and you had to play straight. So just talking about our best options and how we want to score and thought boundaries um, could be hard to come by just because it's keeping low so hard to get power. Maybe twos were a better option. So um, a lot of chats and probably also we're a bit tired from running. So just uh, waste a bit of time as well to get our breath back. I, I guess, um, what is it now, nine o'clock in Wellington? I guess uh, that you have some friends and family watching? Yeah, if they can be bothered to get up, but no, I've got a very supportive family back home, so I'm sure they'll be out watching and, um, yeah, missing them all back home, but excited to see them when I do get to. Yeah, uh, Melly Kerr uh, talking there to uh, Alan Wilkins, I believe, uh, on behalf of the, uh, the World Commentary Group, a wonderful broadcaster in his own right, Alan Wilkins. OK, let's uh, get across to Logan Swinkles. Ramifications now in terms of what we have to wait for. Uh, The ramifications, Smithy, we all become Bangladesh fans at least for one day because it all comes down to that final match in Group 1, which is on Wednesday, 6 a.m. our time. South Africa, they potentially could take that second spot in Group 1. Right now, New Zealand do hold it, having won two, lost two. They have a net run rate of plus 0.138. Australia comfortably sitting top. They are through... But South Africa, after three matches, are one and two, and they have a net run rate of plus 0.685. So if South Africa win, I would say they leapfrog New Zealand and they make it through. So I think it all comes down to Bangladesh winning. Go Bangladesh. Go the Bangladesh women's cricket team. We're right behind the girls. It is 9.52 here on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. No when to walk away and no when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Pretty hard to find uh, some decent sport to bet on today. It's one of the, it's a very rare thing. So I've had to go uh, get the microscope out and go pretty deep into things here. So uh, Serie A football, Serie A football. Torino to beat to Cremonese tomorrow morning. Uh, that is at $1.62. Uh, Scotland are playing Namibia in cricket uh, tonight, believe it or not. Yes, they are. Um, and that is at $1.42. And in the Pakistan Super League, Peshawar to beat uh, Quetta. Peshawar to beat Quetta at $1.75. So Torino into Scotland into Peshawar, which is way up in the north of Pakistan. Uh, $1.62 into $1.42 into $1.75. 4.02. 4.02 is a return for that one. 
pretty hard one to dig out. Uh, the Genesis Invitational being a Monday morning. It's the last day of the PGA, Sunday afternoon over there. And at this stage, Tiger Woods has just finished on the 18th, incredibly finishing under par. He uh, finished at one under, which uh, when you consider uh, he's still playing on one and a half legs, uh, and it's a hell of a hilly course, uh, he's done remarkably well to walk around there and to finish under par. Absolute class, class, and probably triple the ratings, triple the ratings of the Genesis International, uh, just acknowledging the crowd there. So Tiger goes at one under. The lead is currently held by two players, uh, John Rahm at 16-under, Max Homer at 16-under, Patrick Cantlay 14-under, Keith Mitchell 13-under, and Will Zalatoris at 12-under. Uh, they've still got eight holes to play, the leaders. Plenty can happen between now and the end there. Uh, after 10 o'clock, let's, uh, let's celebrate a great return um, to finals basketball for the Breakers. What an achievement that was uh, last night. A strong last quarter. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, with Brooke Rusco, who was uh, on court, actually. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Barry Brown Jr. Three ball. I started from the bottom last season, now they're here. And that'll do us. 92-77. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Well, it's been seven long years, but the New Zealand Breakers are through to the ANBL Championship Series where they now must go through to play the Sydney Kings if they want to lift the club's fifth title. It would be the first since 2015. From the bottom of the table last season to being in the final to a year later. It's been one hell of a dramatic turnaround for the Breakers under new head coach Modi Mayor, and the fans are responding. Spark Arena was buzzing last night after the Breakers defeated the Tasmania Jack Jumpers 92-77 to punch their ticket. Now, Sky Sport Brooke Rusco was uh, working sidelines, doing uh, all the post-match interviews, etc. as well, um, and he witnessed it all unfold right in front of him. Uh, good morning to you, Brooke. Thanks for joining us. How about that atmosphere going down the stretch? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here working on the sidelines. I've watched you for years and trying to learn how to do it at the moment. It's, um, it's cool to be here and talking to you today. And it was cool to be at Spark Arena last night. It was, like you said, it was buzzing. And I haven't heard it that loud since 2015. And talking to a couple of the guys after and, and Andrew Mulligan and Casey Frank who have been a part of this for years and years and years. They were there in 2015 and said maybe it was even louder last night. The crowd wasn't even sold out. There's a few seats at the top that were left empty and I imagine when it comes to the finals it will be sold out but it was um, it was pretty special to be there last night and see the close out game three and an elimination elimination. Oh Brock they'll be queuing up there's no doubt about that uh, you'll be there obviously you know at the start of the yep. season Modi Mayor talked about wanting to reconnect with New Zealand and re-establish a brand of breakers basketball that fans could get behind I think he's achieved that hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think so. They play for each other, which is something that the Breakers of old used to do. And you can see it out there as well. There's accountability across the table. 
Um, it's a team that has come together over, you know, you think of the last two years they were stuck in Australia with COVID and they were at the bottom of the table and to turn everything around. It's a pretty new roster. Tom Abercrombie's obviously a name that we know and love with the breakers. He's a pillar of that organisation. But besides from him, outside of him, there's really no one. Um, Modi was there as an assistant coach, but he's come on this year and he, he's built a presence, uh, a culture in there that... It looks like it's something special. They know the job's not done, but I think they really enjoyed last night. And so they should. That was a tough outfit that they had to go against the Jack Jumpers. Uh, proven they were in the finals last year, and they went over to Tassie and got the job done over there and had to come back and, and win game three, which is always tough. But, man, they looked like some dogs last night that the breaks of old used to look like. So it's promising signs, and it's great for basketball in New Zealand. It was a little bit of, I think, fair to say, a slow start. Um, the Jack yeah. Jumpers went on an early run. Uh, the Breakers took forever, it seemed, to get into gear. Nervous, you think, Nerves? Yeah, Nerves was a part of it. They weren't aggressive. Aggression's been their thing all year long, and both coaches said before the game, whoever comes out and sets the tempo is going to help them go a long way. And I thought the same thing when the Jack Jumpers came out and kind of laid the first punch and were kind of going for their haymaker at the start. I was like, this is worrying signs. The breakers didn't shoot well from deep all game long, and, and that's a promising time for them going forward. They, they didn't shoot the ball well from deep. They still scored 92 points. They still didn't let that affect their defense and held the jack jumpers to what I think was 77 points after a slow start as well. So I think nerves was a factor, probably expected. The crowd was loud at the start. We talked about it. There was this nervous excitement that was kind of drawing in the stadium. Um, and once Barry Brown Jr. got on, I think he kind of helped find a little bit, bit of momentum and, and just keep the, the scoreboard ticking. Um, but that start is something that they will need to address, and I think they will over the next... It's weird. They go into this fever window, so they've got a break of maybe two weeks. Uh, mm. But there's a lot of time to address um, some of the kinks that they had, and promising signs, once again, that they can score 92 and, and not shoot the ball well from deep. Uh, interesting. There was a couple of interesting uh, scenarios. Uh, at one stage, uh, Modi Moore went small with his lineup halfway through the third quarter when they were up by ten. Why do you think he went small at that point? Uh, foul trouble was a, a big factor. Uh, Eric Parton has been huge all year. Jarrell Brantley has been huge all year. They're the biggest for the breakers, but it was an aggressive game. Um, both players, you could tell. Just they, they wanted to leave it all on the floor, but in doing that, there was a risk of them picking up that force, potentially that fifth foul. And I just don't think he wanted to risk it. He went to Cam Glidden, who played in game one, sat in game two, and, and played big minutes in game three last night. And he didn't score, but what he did was he, he spread the floor, and that's something that the breakers desperately needed. They had to respect his three-point shooting. and um, It was a risk. you got to roll the dice, but he trusted his team. I, I saw when Jarrell Brantley was walking off, and Jarrell's been huge for them all year. In my eyes, Barry Brown Jr.'s, you know, he's potentially been the MVP, but Jarrell's knocking on the door of being the MVP of the Breakers all year long. And he just pulled him aside and said, you need to trust your boys right now. And he said, I do. And they came out and delivered, not just for Coach Modi, but they delivered for Jarrell as well. And you roll the dice and, and sometimes it works. And last night it worked. Derek Pardon, you mentioned his name before um, as one of the bigs under the rim. It looked very strong last night. They won the offensive battle 16-7. to um, going forward, that's going to be uh, an eagerly awaited clash against uh, Xavier Cooks. Oh, I, I can't wait. Xavier Cooks is a, a freak. And if you do get the chance to watch Xavier, I don't think he's going to be on this side of the planet for very long. I think he's going to go off to the NBA. But if you do get the chance to drop down and see him while he's here, I'd say he's one of the guys that you need to see. But watching him go against, I think Tommy might be matched up on, on him at the start, but getting into the paint, 
Derek Pardon and Jarrell Brantley, they're all going to have to have a go. We're trying to stop him and, and easier said than done. But last night, Derek Pardon and, and all season long, he just owned the paint. He He's not the most skillful guy down there, but he will give you heart. He'll give you hustle. He's got the height as well. So one thing you know you're going to get from him is every single position. Not every night, every single position. He's going to give you all he's got. And, and rebounding is huge. And breakers of old, if you think about it, the Micah Vakonas and the Gary Wilkinsons and the Dylan Bouchers, they didn't have all the height in the world, but they had heart. And rebounding is huge when it comes to winning playoffs games. And, and if they can keep this up, who knows, breakers could be hanging up banner number five in the rafters as far. We're talking to uh, Brooke Grasco, of course, who was uh, courtside uh, conducting all the interviews as part of the commentary team last night for Sky Sport. Do a great job too, by the way. Um, all of you guys, it uh, really does generate the atmosphere for us. It's, uh, it's terrific. Now, we know that uh, Modimo or bases a lot of his strategies around defence, but you look at the breakers last night. They led. Uh, they were in charge in points from turnovers, 29-14. Second chance points, 19-17. Bench points, 53-24. Uh, all by a considerable margin. Uh, that would kind of suggest they certainly got the attack as well. Yeah, they do. At the start of the season, I'll be honest, I was a bit of a sceptic because some of the, the wins that they were getting, they were scoring 60 points, 70 points. They were holding teams to these low scores, but I was like, at the end of the season when it matters, you're still going to have to fill it up. And as the season has gone on, I'm so glad that I was proven wrong. And they are starting to fill it up. Game two... Um, they kind of lost their way, but game three, we saw the breakers there. We have seen for the last month or so, and taking all the right boxes. It was a bit of a test match for the series, and um, they kind of threw that out at the end and, and just went with what they know best, and, and that's kind of proven that there was proof in the pudding, and it's, it's working for them at the moment. But they took every box, rebounding, turnovers, points off turnovers. Like you said, they converted from the free-throw line. I don't think they missed a free-throw last night, which in a playoff game... Elimination game with all the pressure on the line. You got everybody watching to go 24 of 24. I think it was. Is is bananas. It's berserk, and it's going to help you go a long way to winning not just the game but winning the championship as well. So if they can keep that, if they can protect the ball, uh, if they can get Will McDowell Wyden, he's the name that we haven't seen much in that series. And Tasmania did a great job of getting the ball out of his hand and making someone else the decision maker. But to me, he's the head of the snake for the Breakers. He's their point guard, and if he can get going, that's another promising sign that if he can get going, man, who knows? I, I, I would have. There's no way that I would have thought that I would be sitting here at this time of the year, at the start of the year, talking to you about, man, the Breakers are in the finals, and, and they have a serious shot of winning a doubt that they're taking on the Sydney Kings. Ah, no joke, and they're the champions last year. Chase Buford is an amazing coach. They, they're going to be ready. Um, they've been the standard. They have definitely been the standard for the last two years, if not the last three years. And it's going to be a challenge, but uh, I think the Breakers can do it. I think they can do it too. And uh, when they look back and and on the season, one of the big areas you you look to um, review the season on is how well you recruited. To be fair, and how well that mm-hmm. recruitment you've got <laughs> have meshed together. Uh, you put the names uh, Derek Pardon, Jarrell Brantley, and Barry Brown Jr. in this mix. Um, that is a, a massive tick in that column, surely. <laughs> Without a doubt. And even to go backwards, we all thought with the loss of Fendelani and Yanni Wetzel last year, two amazing Kiwis that you, that you just can't get those guys, that it was going to be a tough season for the Breakers to recruit. But um, in a rebuilding season, for them to get back into the championship, it's, it's unbelievable. And they have. They, they recruited so well. I think the Breakers are the best when it comes to recruiting the, the next NBA stars as well. Rian Rupier has been, he's been a standout for them. doesn't play huge minutes, but when he's out there, he just shows his, 
his weight and value. And I think he's sitting at 12 or 13 on the NBA mock draft at the moment as well. And I know that they're talking to uh, next year's next generation of um, NBA star that could be coming over as well. So they're, they're, they've nailed it. And Coach Modi deserves a lot of credit and the coaching staff and the organization and everyone behind the scenes that managed to put the team together. You know, recruiting Isaiah Liafa was huge as well. He's a standout point guard for New Zealand and he's been away for the last couple of years, proven stuff with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix and signed a couple of years. And the way it's going, I think, you know, talking to him behind the scenes, I think he'll be here for a while, especially the way that they're going at the moment. So, Tim Gladden's another great signing for me. You know, older guy, Tom Vodonovich won last year with the Sydney Kings. You get a Kiwi boy back and he's been excited to play. Rob Lowe, who he isn't a new recruit, but he's been sitting on the bench for the last two years and he showed last night his value and um, how important he is to the breakers that he has all year long. And this is experience. He's a smart player. He's a tall black. He can stretch the floor. He makes the right decisions. They recruited well, but also once you recruit well, you got to somehow build a culture around those guys because, man, you aren't together forever. And especially when you're in year one, you've got to do something. And whatever Coach Modi's done in there, accountability has been a huge thing. I know that for sure. But um, he's he's done something right, and uh, the way he's going, if he loves the breakers, I think he'll be around for a while. Brooke, uh, there's a little bit of a, a concern, but I, I guess it applies to both uh, the Kings and the Breakers. Uh, no basketball really as a franchise till March the third because of the international window. Do you think that will affect momentum for either side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it favours the Sydney Kings just a little bit more. One, they've got home advantage. Two. They were here last year, so they went through this window last year with a very similar team. Um, so they know the ins and outs of this. They won having this feeble window last year, sitting and then getting into the, the finals. They have that experience. I don't know if it's going to be enough. And being a Breakers fan, I hope that it's not, but I think it does favour them. One thing it does also favour for the Breakers, though, is Barry Brown Jr., who has been huge, is missing a sore hand. And I, I, I'm still like, he had 32 last night, so... Does he really need to rest? But you could also see him favouring the ball on, at times or dribbling to the left and, and kind of losing the ball or losing where he wants to go. So just so the class of him to score, score 32 when it matters most. But I think also having him you know, sit for a couple of weeks and really resting that hand and hopefully getting him back to 100% will help the breakers go that, that much further. But Xavier Cooks, who's someone else that we've talked about a lot already and will continue to talk about over the next couple of weeks, He's nursing a bit of an injury as well. So for him to have time to breathe and rest, it's going to help the Kings as well. So, you know, it's 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 six in this one, half a dozen in the other. But if, if I'm being honest with myself at heart, I think it does favour the Kings just a little bit more. Brooke, can you tell us uh, what the format will be uh, from March the 3rd onwards in terms of um, this final series? Yeah, so it's 2-2-1. It's, it's two, two, so two games are in Australia. The first two games are in Sydney. Second two games are going to be in New Zealand, and then final one, if needed, will be back in Sydney. So it's the best of three. Best of five, sorry, so first two and three. So let's just say that Sydney wins the first two, and then they happen to win game three in in New Zealand at Spark. Then that's the series. The same thing as the Breakers win one over there, and then they win the next two at home. They'll win the series in four. So um, it is a break, and, and then March 3rd is there, and now I, I think the next game is the 10th of March over in Sydney as well, if I'm off the top of my head. So, yeah, there's, there's big breaks, uh, which for a breakers season, and this season in particular, it's, it's been a game almost every three, four days. So as an athlete, as a player, that's what you love. It's less training, so these boys are going to have to do a lot of training and 
Coach Modi is meticulous when it comes to video and, and talking to Tommy after the game. Yesterday, he said that they got an absolute... He's never been ripped out more than after game two. And, you know, it worked. They they came out and maybe a bit of a slow start, but once they found that rhythm, uh, it kind of it showed that they had been ripped out and there was there was something there. And even talking to Tommy after the game, you could just see it and you could hear it in his voice and just having the crowd there and how loud it was. And he's been through the highs and lows and he's won four championships with the Breakers and they came last last year. So he knows every millimeter of the breakers he knows every high he knows every low and i could hear it last night from him that he was excited um relieved happy uh, joyful just all the superlatives that you could use for tommy and how he was feeling last night it was showing after that game brock um i've got to say i I can hear it even now the the enthusiasm in your voice i mean obviously one you've got a love for the game but you've got a uh, I love also for the broadcasting. How have you found it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking about uh, interviewing the likes of Sean Marks. How have you found it this year? Oh, man. Uh, honestly, talking to you, uh, it, it's um, maybe after this I need to grab your number and talk to you and just ask you a whole bunch of questions because I watch you do it and it's like you're like a fish in water and then I get out there and I'm like, oh, my God, how does he do that? Oh, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it, though. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, it's... it's it's one of those things that the more you do it, it's time in the saddle. It's, it's become easier over the year. But I'll always watch something get back and be like, why did I say this? Or why did I do that? Or I should have gone this way. Or that was too fast. Or that was too slow. Or You know, you overpick everything. But overall, uh, for me to be around basketball again, doing something that I love, um, I've, I've enjoyed every moment of it. And everyone's kind of, um, the Sky team in particular, have, have taken me in and, and given me great advice. And, um I'm very grateful and blessed to, to be a part of it and, and be on the journey, I guess, with Sky and with the breakfast. You've done a great job, mate. Um, I can tell you that. Oh, you're doing a great it. job. I love, I, I love your enthusiasm and I love the fact that you're available to us this morning, uh, the morning after. <laughs> look, forward to that, look forward to that final series. It's going to be one hell of a, uh, an event, I'm sure, and uh, I've, I rate us. I rate us a big, big chance and that's just not being yeah, stupid. Absolutely. That's uh, just on the little knowledge I have. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Brooke. It's been terrific talking to you, mate. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Brooke Rusco there, uh, part of the Sky commentary team. Wow, um, that's cool. It's on. It's on. We're in the grand final. Unbelievable. 10.20 here on SCNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, the panel this morning consists of uh, Mr Sports Freak and that of course is uh, Graham Beasley along with uh, RNZ's uh, Ben Strang as well uh, who does uh, cricket commentary on our behalf too. So uh, gentlemen, uh, first of all let's get stuck into the black cap shall we if we want to. Uh, Graham, I'll start with you. Uh, I I regard that as a very poor performance, very poor. Yeah, I do too. It was quite um, it was quite draining, really, wasn't it? Um, I mean, fair fair play to England. Um, I do like the way they're playing, and and even just little things like folks standing up to Anderson and Broad yesterday. I mean, you'd have enjoyed that, Smithy. Um, you know that 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 kind of aggression that they have there. They're, they're always making changes. They're always um, trying to exert their dominance. But from a New Zealand point of view, very disappointing. Um, I think they got the balance of the bowling attack wrong. Um, the um, sending them in clearly backfired, and I think by the time the second innings came along, I think they just had a bit of a mental block. 
um, in terms of batting under lights, really. Um, I mean, Paul yeah, bowled very yeah. well, but to have four people out bowled like that um, within an hour was um, was very disappointing because they're good batsmen too. Yeah, technically, I mean, you, you don't associate the fact with a guy like Williamson will just be done through the gate like that. You don't you don't uh, look at Conway getting knocked over very often in that regard. So uh, they are traditionally very good at protecting their stumps, uh, which which uh, I found quite unusual to go like a picket fence there. Uh, ben, uh, what did you make of um, the whole three and a half days? Uh, yeah, I agree. New Zealand were very poor, uh, but I would say on top of that that I think New Zealand cricket fans need to get used to that because... I think the next five uh, to seven sort of years, uh, possibly longer, unless we start unearthing some better young talent, uh, are going to be very, very difficult. Uh, this isn't the golden team that took us to the World Test Championship title. Um, with, the, with the bowling, I don't think uh, Blair Tickner is good enough for international level, for, for test level. Scott Kugeline the same, and I wouldn't have picked him anyway based on other reasons. Um I think Neil Wagner is probably nearing retirement and, and doesn't quite have the spark that he, that he used to have. And with the bat, it was just a, a poor batting performance. Someone like Henry Nichols hasn't proved that he should continue to get selected on his form. So I think there's a lot of selection issues as part of this performance. Gary Stead and co need to have a better look at, at, at that. Um, but, you know, we've just seen now the news come through that Jacob Duffy and Ish Sodi have been uh, dropped. Uh, Matt Henry's back for the next test, so I don't actually see many changes coming to 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 either line. You know, the batting or the bowling lineup. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's intriguing for me, um, Graham. But we've seen it before: this uh, consistency of selection, this faithfulness of selection. Uh, have we are we moving past that now on these kinds of results? So surely. Well, given the squad that's just been announced, it looks like we haven't really. Um, you know, they're still being very loyal to players. Um, actually, back onto Wagner, I thought probably the, the most disheartening period of the Test match was him getting taken apart on that um, on that third afternoon. You know, I mean, that that just hasn't happened to that extent before. And when they started backing off outside legs up and hitting him over mid-off before, it all it all just looked really sad, really, and and I think we need to acknowledge that, um, as Ben said, he's he's possibly near near to retirement. Um, he isn't what he was. I think Kane Williamson is still struggling. Um, so not only are we losing players like Bolt, etc., but some of our absolute rocks over the last five to ten years are um, are not quite what they used to be. Eleven, uh, eleven overs for one hundred and two. Um... Uh, you're right. I, I I don't get the tactics there. Uh, I'm afraid, uh, Ben, from a fellow bowler, um, and, and it letting it. Uh, okay, he, he's, he got a couple of guys out, but eleven overs for a hundred and two in a test match. Well, there's a reason Neil Wagner doesn't play limited overs cricket for New Zealand. Uh, it's just because the 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 way that he's been getting wickets in test matches does not work in one-day internationals in 2020s because guys do exactly what England did. Well, the pink ball, which is very, very easy to see, almost as easy to see as a white ball, uh, so they just did what they would in limited overs cricket. They backed away. They used the crease. They made him have to, to think more than possibly he has in test matches in the past. And, I, I you know, 
I, I don't want to completely rip into the way Wagner bowled because he just bowled as he has in the past. But I also feel sorry for the guy because, you know, he is nearing the end of his career, but he gets taken to England last year, plays one match uh, on the, the least receptive wicket for, for his bowling. Then, um, you know, the two green seamers he wasn't selected for. Uh, this this while he's, you know, got a, got a child being born in New Zealand, you've got to be wondering why you're over there. Um, it, you know, guys like him have possibly not been treated as well as they should have been done in the last few years, given the career that he's had. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of issues, um, you know, behind the scenes that are possibly bubbling away and, and the players aren't performing as well as they could uh, given the talent they do have, but then we do have a dearth of talent behind our top guns, which is a real problem. Yeah, it is. Uh, we're going to get uh, back to cricket, probably turn to the women's cricket team as well, who at least had a win this morning, a convincing one. We'll talk about that very shortly uh, with Graham Beasley and Ben Strang. It's uh, 10.31, time for some news. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Graham Beasley with us this morning, and uh, Ben String, um, gentlemen. Some better news, uh, cricket-wise, anyway, coming out of Pal uh, Boland Park actually uh, just a, a little while ago, uh, with the White Ferns uh, winning and beating um, Sri Lanka by 100 runs. But still, uh, they're sitting there hoping on the back of what's been up until this point quite disappointing. Graham, I'll start with you. Yeah, sort of uh, things have come right, but it's kind of too little too late really isn't it and I think they will look back on this tournament and really regret the way that they approached those two run chases against Australia and South Africa probably particularly Australia um, you know they were, they were never going to chase down 190 against Australia so to lose the two star batters for Golden Ducks in the first over um, they should have just recalibrated at that stage and decided well let's get to say 130 or something like that so we don't do our net run rates and damage and then the same kind of thing happened against South Africa as well. So I think they need to realise that in tournament play like this, it's not about winning every game. It's, you know, the, the run rate almost always comes into play um, for a tournament like this, and it's going to again. Um, and we've got the forlorn hope that Bangladesh might be South Africa. But mind you, South Africa at ICC World Cup are just a special um, piece of work, aren't they? So you never... <laughs> You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that they will definitely get through given their past history. No, you wouldn't. Uh, ben, what do you think? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, much more promising performance this morning. But, you know, South Africa losing to Bangladesh seems like a bit of pretty long shot on Wednesday morning. I, I think um, there's possibly a bit of the same with the White Ferns as there is with the Black Caps, though, where you have uh, such such talented players sort of leading the charge with... Bates, Devine, um, Amelia Kerr, that sort of thing. And then there seems to be a significant drop-off. Um, there is more promise in, you know, if, if you see any of the domestic women's cricket, there there does appear to be some good young players coming through, which is uh, exciting to see. But, but at the moment, there is a steep drop-off from those world-class players down to the other squad players. And it makes it hard when you go to a global tournament to get a certain number of performances out of the players certainly doesn't help when you know your two star bats get out for a golden duck. But um, I, I think it's just it is hard in New Zealand to develop depth in any sport when there's so few of us uh, in the country. But I think that's where uh, other nations are able to to get a leg up on New Zealand is that they do have greater depth and they can rely on their fourth or fifth option in any discipline. 
So, so Ben, how do we get? I mean, uh, uh, if you knew the answer to this question, I suppose you'd be on ten billion dollars a year. But um, how do you <laughs> how do you get depth then? Uh, do we need to send our kids, um, our younger kids, uh, to Australia? Where do, where are we going to get this from? Yeah, um, yeah, I would like that ten million or ten billion dollars. That would be nice. Um, I don't have the answers, but. Uh, you know, part of it is just the the plane stock. I mean, you you can't expect a country of five million to compete with you know India with one point three billion, or, or you know, that's just a numbers game. I I, I you know, the, the the development at grassroots level in, in all sports um, possibly can do with a little bit of work. There are countries that succeed in their sports despite the the smaller population size, and New Zealand by comparison, has actually done a very good job. I just think there's going to be ebbs and flows where you're going to get a generation of fantastic cricketers or, or whatever it may be, and then you've just got to deal with the the times that come after that. You, you can't expect, as a New Zealand sports fan, to have your teams dominating at the top year in, year out, just simply because of our population. Right, good point. Okay, let's uh, change tack from cricket and get on to something else. Um, Danny Lee, it seems uh, Graham Beasley is uh, all but confirmed to go to the dark side. Yeah, to be honest, that doesn't particularly surprise me. Um, you know, I think if you'd said if there was a golfer in in this country that was going to do that, it would be Danny Lee. But it also says a bit about Liv, I think, in that if they're now sort of hunting around and recruiting golfers that are ranked 350th in the world, then that doesn't say much about the quality of their tournament either, does it? So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this, this whole live um, issue is an interesting one to follow. But as I say, I think um, when they kicked it off, they would have thought that they wouldn't be picking up golfers ranked 350. No, I, I totally agree with you there. That's I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, bottom of the barrel type signing for Greg Norman, f- uh, the way I see it anyway. Yeah, ben, how do you really, see it? Yeah. yeah, I agree. I, I don't, bla- you know, I, I don't like the idea of of going to live golf. If I was a professional golfer, I don't think I'd want to play on that tour. Uh, that said, the money that's possibly on offer to Danny Lee, given the the talent he has on a global scale, is you know you probably understand why he would do it. Um, I think this would, will just basically um, usher him, you know, further down the the rankings. Even though he basically won't be on the rankings, you know, it just I don't think his golf is going to get any better from being on the live all those guys who have come back and played tournaments with the pga guys have failed to make cuts failed to perform i don't think it's a place where you're getting high performance golf uh so yeah in some ways i think it's a shame but in others i'm just happy that someone like ryan fox is going so well and and there is a kiwi that you can um you know support on that men's tour there's there's lydia cole on the women's tour steve alka on the senior tour there is a lot of golf that New Zealanders can enjoy. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me, and, and I don't think anyone will ever say anything about it, but it wasn't that long ago, uh, people, and particularly people involved with FIFA and the women's side of uh, football were saying, we can't have um, uh, Saudi first uh, tourism company sponsoring the FIFA World Cup. We don't want that kind of money. We don't want that kind of sponsorship. Here we get into a situation now uh, where we find uh, Lydia Ko winning this morning. Uh, hats off to her for winning a golf tournament. But at the end of the day, uh, Graham, it is Saudi money. Uh, what are we going to... Is there going to be any, any feedback about this? Any repercussions? 
I haven't seen any feedback about it yet, um, but you're right. It will probably seem appropriate that there should be some. I guess the the, the subtle difference with the um, FIFA World Cup being held here with the Saudi advertising is that it's being held on our shores. So it feels mm-hmm. like a real intrusion into this country and a tournament that you know we'll, we'll, we'll only uh, get to host it once in our lifetime um, in, in Australia and New Zealand. So for Saudi money to come in and advertise and it just sort of clouds it just puts a bit of a dampener on the whole um the whole tournament whereas lydia co from a new zealand point of view if she's playing in saudi arabia or the states or anywhere it doesn't it doesn't really seem to impact us as much you know we, we can see it on tv we might work out that it's in saudi arabia but it just doesn't seem quite as intrusive ben do you have a view on that yeah i think the other thing about it is that the uh you know saudi sponsoring the FIFA Women's World Cup is sports washing on a real global scale. Like one of the biggest tournaments in the world, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, which will be watched by billions of people. Uh, the, the the woman going and playing in Saudi Arabia in a golf tournament uh, is, is a much lower scale. Uh, and, and if you just think about the, the logistics of it, they've got, you know, a hundred women going over to play a tournament in Saudi Arabia, a country that, doesn't have a great record on women's rights and and you can kind of you know i I guess um understand allowing it to happen a bit more with the precedent it might set in the country but yeah i just think the the sponsorship angle on a fifa tournament which is just such a massive showpiece is the difference it's just sports washing trying to get their name out and sponsor something which doesn't make sense Okay, uh, interesting fellas. Uh, I was going to talk about uh, Sal GP, but we've uh, run out of time, and it seems that uh, they've run out of a bit of gear as well with that storm in Sydney. But uh, thank you very much this morning to Graham Beasley and Ben Strang uh, for those opinions on cricket in particular. Um, at the moment, uh, we are going backwards. We're backpedalling at 100 miles an hour, and uh, uh, it has to stop at some point. Thanks, Japs. I uh, appreciate your time this morning. 10.42. Experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, just uh, an update on the Genesis Invitational. I can tell you right here and now that Max Home is doing his best to throw away a one shot lead. Uh, he's just hit a par four and three, so at very best, he's uh, I think going to make five there. So uh, that means his one-shot lead over John Rahm will probably be um, eradicated. So it looks like Homer will be at 15 under, Rahm 15 under, and they've still got uh, around five holes to go. So it's anyone's there. Uh, I'll give you an update on Stephen Olker very shortly. I think Logan might have a look at that uh, whilst we're reading a couple of texts out and see if we've got a Stephen Olker update as well because he dropped a couple of shots on one hole and then birdie the next to try and get back in line. Uh, David White uh, says Rory has been the head of New Zealand cricket for far too long. There needs to be a clean out. Fresh ideas at the top including coach and selectors. If Bolt was happy he would have stayed. Interesting point that Rory. <coughs> I just wonder if um, if he'd have been such a valuable commodity in Australia and uh, decided that he wanted to to go on and, and try uh, for greener pastures and, and one ball, white ball cricket around the world, whether they would have paid him not to. Is he of that value? I, I, I kind of think um, whether there was a financial discussion between New Zealand cricket and Trent Boldest to say, well, what would it take financially? Uh, you're only going to play these leagues for money. 
uh, what would it take financially uh, to keep you at home and keep you ours? Uh, in other words, uh, just be a black cat. Uh, I'm not sure if those conversations uh, were ever had, but you would have thought that uh, at some point they might have tried that uh, to keep him here because uh, we're sadly lacking without him. Uh, and it's going to be more apparent every time we play a test match in the immediate future. Uh, Scott has come in and said, this is my lineup for the next test. Latham, Conway, Williamson, Young. Okay, so uh, Will Young coming in at number four. Mitchell, Blundell, Bracewell again. Henry, Wagner, Southey, Tickner. So Tickner gets the nod over Kugeline from uh, your point of view, Scott. Um, and Henry comes back, and I think Matt Henry's a given. I think Matt Henry is, in fact, he's a desperate given. Uh, Matt Henry who was always the guy that came off the bench. Well, he's going to have to come off the bench. He will produce, he will bowl well, but he will be under pressure. Uh, Brennan McCullum and Ben Stokes won't be saying, hey, Matt Henry's back, let's hold back. They won't. They'll keep going at 100 miles an hour at Matt Henry regardless. Neil Wagner, uh, yeah, uh, one of the great servants of um, modern-day New Zealand cricket. No one has bowled and played for New Zealand with more heart than Neil Wagner. But at some stage, heart probably gives way to, um, I don't know, body in some respect in, t in terms of your ability to get it down. Uh, sons and I were watching a little bit of that cricket. Neil Wagner racing in and pounding in it at 126, 128Ks is not going to threaten uh, too many, unfortunately. So uh, that was a, a, a real uh, interesting side of it from my, my point of view, just to see the, the drop-off he's had in terms of pace. So um, very, very, um, very interesting text coming through, including one from Rich. Hi, Smithy. What is the point in our Plunkett Shield if the selectors don't reward players for their efforts into our Black Caps Test 11? Jacob Duffy, 22 wickets at an average of 21 this season. Scott Kugeline, four wickets with an average of 66. Yes, Kugeline got a few wickets, but how do you justify him getting the nod over Duffy? And uh, yet he, now Duffy's been dropped altogether. Uh, so they've, they've just got rid of Duffy. He's got um, absolutely uh, no price of, of making this side. So going forward to this next test at the Basin Reserve. Uh, just uh, finally, um, and there's plenty more to read out, which I will, thanks. Uh, this is from Rob. New Zealand have not won a test series for nearly two years, haven't even won a test for over a year. Having Wagner running like Tarzan and bowl like Jane is one major reason why uh, New Zealand bowlers cannot take 20 wickets. Weak interviews with Gavin Larson don't help either. If you get him uh, on the, actually on the blow to which put him on some hard questions, this is an embarrassing time for New Zealand cricket. Rob, write out some questions. Um, write uh, out some questions, some hard-hitting questions. Send them forward and uh, we'll get either Gary Stead or Gavin Larson back. Uh, perhaps not with this week, but at the end of the second test match, and we shall uh, ask them on your behalf if that's what you want. Cheers. It is uh, 10.51. Bring your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 10.56, coming up uh, 10.57 actually, uh, we're uh, joined by Pip Morris uh, from the TAB and you can always rely, even on the quietest day, for there to be some greyhound action and that's the case uh, today, Pip, at Addington. Good morning, Smithy. Yes, it certainly is. I'm really looking forward to the 12 race program there. I think there's a really nice play in the latter race, a couple of nice favourites throughout the card too. The shorties look like a really nice multi, so 
have a look at those. And of course, the All Stars game for the sports side of things with the basketball has been a real talking point. And Team LeBron up against the Team Giannis here, and Team LeBron seems to be the most popular smithy in the head to head at a dollar sixty seven. Uh, most of the head to head plays on them, and LeBron James is the All Star MVP. You can get him boosted at seven dollars and fifty cents from the six fifty. That's been really popular as well. Uh, the other all-star game MVP that's been quite popular at a longer odds uh, quote is Luke Dionic too at $8. And the point start there too, Team LeBron 185 to cover that two and a half points has been popular. So uh, plenty of options there. And of course, we still have that basketball promo. If your team's leading by 12 at halftime, we'll pay you out as a winner. Uh, good on you, Pip. Uh, I've got to say, it's pretty hard finding a multi today because... Uh, there's not a lot on, but that'll build up uh, as the week goes on. Have a cr- terrific week. Thanks for joining us this morning. You're taking some time out. Uh, I'll head across now to uh, Logan for a Stephen Alka update, if I can, please. Uh, yes, yeah, Stephen Alka was tied for first, but he has dropped back, unfortunately, Smithy, after he hit a bogey on the 13th. He currently has seven, eight birdies to his round. Now he's about to uh, tee off on the 17th, but he, uh, leading Tied for first is Dickie Pride and Bernard Langer. Total of uh, 15 under. Stephen Alka, 12 under. Uh, so a bit far off the pace now of just two holes to go. Well, if you had a bet on the Genesis Infantational, I can tell you uh, it's all tied up after 13 holes. Uh, John Rahm has just hit his tee shot into the 14th, which is a par three. Um, and uh, he's actually hit it to about uh, 30 feet uh, towards the back of the green. Uh, Max Home is about to tee up. Uh, Patrick Cantlay is not out of it either, the American. Uh, he's 14 under after 14 holes, so he's only one shot back. And Keith Mitchell is uh, 13 under playing the 14th as well, but has bunkered his tee shot. So uh, there's all sorts happening uh, in terms of uh, the PGA and its final round this morning. Just repeating, Tiger Woods finishing at one under, which was a remarkable, a remarkable achievement. Um, right, uh, speaking of plenty happening, it's starting to happen in the NRL. Really starting to happen in the NRL. Plenty of pre-season action uh, to talk about, and who better to do that with than the one, the only, Andrew Voss, for the first time back in his regular slot. We'll be with Bossy very shortly after the news with Aroha. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, here we go again, and that's uh, the NRL season, I guess. Uh, it's uh, all but upon us, a season proper, so that means we're in pre-season mode at the moment. And after beating uh, the Tigers 48-12, the Warriors' first trial game 
of the uh, season. There was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for the New Zealand club as it starts to rebuild. But perhaps expectations might be tempered a little now following a 24-6 defeat to the Melbourne Storm in Christchurch yesterday. Expecting uh, a near full-strength Warriors side, the fans came in their droves to Orange Theory Stadium only to see some of the usual issues plague the team. But uh, after all, isn't that what trials are for to knock off uh, the early season rust? Only time will tell if the result is an indication of the season ahead. One thing you can guarantee, though, is quality commentary and quality analysis uh, coming out of Australia for the NRL season. And for that, uh, we thank uh, Andrew Voss, uh, who's back with us here on SENZ. Uh, Vossy, first of all, uh, did you have a good break? And I'm amazed that uh, Hutchie lets you uh, away from the microphone because you're such a money spinner for him. Oh, wow. Uh, what an introduction. Thank you, Smithy. Yeah, had a, had a really uh, good break, having had an extended year last year in terms of Rugby League World Cup and then went back overseas and took a bit of overseas sport, which was an eye-opener to be at um, uh, matches in uh, Italy. They're going to see Roma play there, see how other competitions work in the world. It was quite fantastic. I come back to just... This has just been the most amazing weekend. Yes, all the Rugby League news, Smitty, but the cricket, you don't want to talk about that, do you, in India, the sweep fest? Wow. Although, mind you, what a weekend for Australian New Zealand cricket, eh? You don't, you don't want to go there at all. You just don't want to go there. Uh, no, we don't. we don't. We, we don't want to talk about uh, yachting either, though uh, in Sydney it must have been pretty rough for that uh, to happen with the Sail GP event and all that damage. Oh, the, the storm was incredible. I was between storms because they were coming up in pockets all around Sydney and I was going to Penrith on, uh, on Saturday night for the World Club Challenge. So I, I was racing away from the storm that already hit where I live, getting to the ground where the storm was still 20... 30 minutes away. It was uh, it was wild, let me tell you. But mm. as for the rugby league itself, and if you want quick analysis on the Warriors, it's impossible. I mean, I I have just found trial form um, so hard. You know, you go back to the Warriors win the previous week. Yeah, it looked great. But then the Tigers side that was fielded in that, how do you gauge any sort of excellence against that compared to a Tigers side yesterday suddenly put the stars back in? They looked really good. You know, Light years from the previous week. I just think for the fan, the trial matches, I probably look at um, injury toll first of all. Have I got through injury free? Tick. That's the biggest tick that comes out of out of uh, trials. And then I probably look at defensive tallies, um, you know, how many points conceded. And if you haven't conceded a lot of points, I think you've... I think you've got to say, by and large, that's a good pre-season. No injuries and haven't leaked a lot of points. And I suppose on that basis, the Warriors haven't um, leaked a lot of points. I mean, there were, yes, there's work to do after the loss to Melbourne yesterday, but there, I thought there were more uh, good signs than bad out of the Warriors the two weeks combined. That's where I'll leave my summation. Does it lead to wins round one, two, three, four of the Premiership, Smithy? I've got no idea. I got no idea. Is it a real great indicator? I don't think. I don't think any trial form is. Rightio. Uh, let's uh, look at uh, the key areas uh, for the halves. Right. We've taken the two levels of uh, opposition. West Tigers, perhaps, uh, weren't that flash uh, the week before. We saw Tamari uh, Martin, Luke Metcalf combined uh, pretty darn well, but Luke Metcalf's picked up a, a hamstring injury, which leads us back to the old familiar Sean Johnson story. What did you see there? Yeah, I was disappointed with Sean yesterday, um, albeit first hit out for the year. So that's where you've got to temper things. I mean, I've seen 
other players right across the board. I mean, I saw I watched Jack Whiten play yesterday for Canberra. I wasn't you know particularly impressed um, that Jack had any great stamp on the game. I, I don't think Jerome Luai was all that good for Penrith on Saturday night. If I'm being honest, um, you know, and he's come off a, an enormous World Cup for Samoa and, and a Grand Final winning year. I don't think he did enough. But um, on Sean Johnson, and because there is competition for places. Yeah, if it was just based on the two games, well, you'd have to say the previous week, greater impact. But then how do you compare Melbourne defensive yesterday to the Tigers defence of the previous week? Very tough. I think Johnson gets the first crack, but it's it's no longer at his point of his career. It can't be a, well, we'll wait and see if he comes good. Johnson needs to be, needs to have impact right from round one, Smithy. Uh, you know, I don't think... Um, I don't think if there if there is pressure knocking on the door and form and yeah it's unfortunate what happened to Luke Metcalf the injury, uh, but uh, you know I don't think they can just even though I'm the number one card holder of the Sean Johnson fan club, they can't mm. give him they can't give him five six weeks to find his feet because he's a senior player with an incredible record. He has to lead this team. He has to make right decisions. His kicking game has to be on point. He can't have bad days. He can't have... Sean Johnson can't have any less than a 7 out of 10 day if the Warriors are going to have a good season. He just can't. Okay. Uh, one of the other areas you might like to look at, you talked about the defensive side of things and uh, conceding points, uh, keeping that in check, was uh, the completion rate. Um, their completion rate in their sets of six was uh, only 65% compared to Melbourne's 76% yesterday. Yeah, well, mind you, Melbourne weren't that flash the first half. They got better in the second half. Uh, yes, completion rates, I'm not probably getting bogged down with them again in the trials. Very hard to gauge. Um, but uh, obviously, if you have a good one, you talk about it. If you have a bad one, you think, well, we're going to get better. So, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not drastically reacting to that. Uh, I will stand by it. I, I haven't, I, I've got to say, hand on heart, Smithy, I don't have the Warriors in my eight in preseason forecasts. Mind you, I'll temper that by saying to our listeners right now, in my time of preseason predictions, which goes well over 30 years, I've never successfully tipped a top eight. So, so there's some margin for error there, but I don't have the Warriors in the eight. Andrew Webster was happy after the first week. Um, there's work to do. There's two weeks before it all gets underway. Uh, what I'm happiest about is Warriors back in New Zealand throughout the season. I'd be incredibly disappointed if they they didn't be competitive right through the whole season and, and really turn on a show for fans every time they're playing in New Zealand in particular. Um, new players uh, adding, uh, including Jackson Ford, uh, Marata, Nia Kore, uh, Mitch Barnett. Uh, impact from them? Uh, yeah, well, still to come. I, I think Nia Kore is a fantastic signing. I really do. I, I think um, he will give them plenty... Mitch Barnett is a very good signing as well. I, you know, I, I think they've done okay recruiting-wise, um, the Warriors, and Tomato Martin and, and what Metcalf showed us the first up. And I, I, and I do think he's a player, but he's, he's still an inexperienced player when it comes to first grade. So I'm not lumping all my eggs in the basket of, well, Luke Metcalf's going to be the player to turn the Warriors' fortunes around. I think they did pretty well on recruiting. Um, when I look at clubs like Canberra, who only picked up, say, Denny Levi um, is, is there. Pasami Solo picked up from Newcastle. I, I, I thought the Warriors did okay on the recruiting front. I think the Tigers have done the best, actually, Smithy, on what I saw. I, it's quite incredible that the wooden spooners of last year uh, actually picked up three players who played in the grand final last year. Oh, that's unheard of. 
to you know to come up with Coruscant, um, who's just going to be absolutely fantastic for them, and he didn't play yesterday. Um, Isaiah Papalihi, I, I think, could prove the signing of the year. And then they also get Charlie Staines into the mix, one of the Panthers' grand final try scorers from last year. So um, the Warriors um, better than some in recruiting, and I think the players they got will be positive for them. So um, of the other action that you've seen across the board, um, can, you, can you read anything into um, any of the, the other sides in terms of uh, yeah. players they've recruited? I mean, for instance, uh, I got a text in uh, this morning... Uh, someone's saying the South Rabbitohs, this is for you Vossi, can you please ask yep. Vossi, if the South Sydney Rabbitohs not signing anybody is a concern or yep. does it show depth at the club? Also, if you can recall any other club throughout your time not signing a new player? Well, that's a good question. The second part of it, I would say no. Um, South Sydney are happy with what they've got and had to upgrade. So obviously with young halfbacks like uh, Lachlan Ilias now going into another season, um, I, I think in for a good season, the Rabbitohs. Uh, what I would say on the recruitment front, the biggest takeout of just one game on Saturday night, having called the World Club Challenge, Penrith have replaced dynamic with competent. Um, and by that I mean losing Coruscant and Kikau. It's only taken one game to ram the mess- message home. Massive losses for Penrith, the Premiers. And they replaced them with very competent players. Mitch Kenny, you know, is a good player. Started the grand final last year, but he's not happy Coruscant. And Luke Garner playing on left edge. Good player for the Tigers, but he's not Viliami Kikau. He's not that dynamic player. Um, so Penrith can't possibly be... Um, better than last year, in my opinion. And Melbourne, for all that I saw yesterday, obviously they had three of the big four playing yesterday in Munster and Grant and and Jerome Hughes and Pappenhausen to come back around about round six or seven. But they can't possibly be as good with all the players they lost. Um, So I think there'll be a couple of heavyweights come back to the field a little. They might still be good enough to win the comp, but they're going to come back. So there's, there's hope for a lot of teams. And I think... Some teams that have had wretched seasons, if they start well, um, wretched recent seasons, if they start well, they might surprise themselves because teams like Dragons, Knights, um, you know, Titans, I could see a lot of teams under pressure. Dolphins, New Boys on the block, could be a lot of teams under pressure early. So if you can string together, you know, maybe a, a three out of four start, you might be on your way. Do you have a smoky or two then, a, a smoky on early evidence? Well, I'm prepared. I, I know this is really going out there. But I think for, for improvement one season to the next, the fact is the Tigers did finish stone motherless last last year. They are going to go way better. Do they challenge for the eight? I think they can. I really do. I think they can go from wooden spooners to being a genuine top eight contender under Tim Sheens, uh, Benji Marshall, and the players they have bought... Um, are, are all very very good players. They're not they're not past their best. So and they come to the club, you know, in the players I've mentioned like Coruscant, they come as extreme winners, and he's been made captain of the club. So I'm seeing the Tigers as potentially the biggest improver uh, improver from last season to this. The Dolphins. What are you what are you seeing at the the, the, the Dolphins? Wayne Bennett uh, and the new franchise. What are you hearing? Yeah. Um, yeah, good batch of players. Look, they're, they're, they're not silly. When we when we said all the time we had pressure on to sign Marquis, they were out there busy. And if you saw their trial the previous week, 
um, against the Cowboys, you got to see that they were out there recruiting uh, potential. It's not just about trying to sign marquee players. But then yesterday we see the names. And first impression was, well, Melbourne players out of Melbourne, can they stand up? They, well, they're all a year older. And Mark Nichols in the pack and Anthony Milford, they really need to get the best out of the most senior members of that side, the Bromwich brothers, Felice Cafusi, Anthony Milford, to be outside bottom four for mine. If they don't, you know, if those boys are on the way down, um, then then the Dolphins, it's going to be a, a tough first year. I really, I really think that. But I do see bright things. They have bought for their future as well as trying to make, you know, a, a reasonable impact first up. Wayne Bennett said when he signed those senior players, he wanted bodyguards for his younger players he's going to sign. He signed plenty of young blokes as well, Smithy. So there's a plan there for Wayne Bennett. Um, but, you know, that plan mightn't include, well, I, I'm pretty sure of this, it won't include more wins than losses in their first season. We haven't spoken to you, Vossi, since uh, you were over in the, the UK commentating on the Rugby League World Cup. Um, on the basis of what you've seen and the experience you had there, do you ha- hold out hopes for uh, International League and, and more of it? Well, not without the support of the Australian Rugby League putting their hand up and supporting it and saying that it is a priority. And, and, and the fact of the matter, Smithy, is it's not. Origin is this massive beast that we've created. And and we have to bow down to state of origin. And it, you know, we're just not moving the schedule around. Now, in the perfect world, you play your state football to go into an international series. Well, that's, ne- that's never going to happen. It won't happen in the rest of my lifetime now. It'll be... Uh, condemned to post-season, and and then you're at the whim of the clubs. You know, if a player needs surgery or whatever, then you know we had that. Remember the four nations we had all those years ago, and the Australian scene was was almost second string that they played in the four nations. So um, that's my concern. I just want a regular schedule. If we're going to improve, I mean PNG and Fiji and Samoa and Tonga, New Zealand, we all have to have a regular schedule, and I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it at all. Could anyone, if you did a quick poll right now, could any one of your listeners tell you what is the Test Rugby League schedule for this year? I don't think anyone, had, no one would have a clue. Are we, are we uh, the kangaroos playing the Kiwis? And if they are, where is it? And when is it? I don't think anyone could answer you, Smithy. No, I think that's a fair question, a very fair question, and you're right. I don't think anyone, even if I rung rag, Rugby League headquarters this morning, <laughs> I'd get a pretty... A pretty blatant sort yeah. of a no, not yet sort of an answer. Yeah, not a, hey, someone yeah. knows you. Someone knows you really well, Vossi. They, they even know your appetite uh, for potato scallops. Potato oh, yes. scallops. Yes. Over here, we call them potato fritters. Uh, and someone has yes. uh, uh, asked me to ask you, uh, where did you get this from, and how many can you eat in one sitting? Yes, I, I did tweet that the other week. I think an incredibly underrated um, uh, uh, meal. The scallop, but is it a meal? Is it just a snack or is it actually a meal? Um, that's what I threw out there. And how many is a reasonable number? Because by gee, I had some good ones. At, uh, it was in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales, a little takeaway shop at Mittagong. Um, and I had three. I reckon I could have eaten 10. That would be going over the top. So I'm going I'm to land on four to five. Is it a meal? No. If I'm trying to, if I'm trying to impress my better half, I'm probably not putting a plate of potato scallops in front of them. But guys, don't sell them short. I, I think it's a it's a really good um, uplifting experience if you get a good one or a good two or what's three your or con- four or five. Do you, 
You just eat them bare, or what's your condiment, your preferred condiment? Oh, you like a little bit of chicken salt on them. Oh, you know, salt or a bit of chicken salt, definitely, Smithy. That's that's my game. And, and late night kebabs in the UK, or without telling stories? Yeah, oh, I had a bad one. I had a really bad one in Warrington. I think I, it was lost in translation. I, I, he, he obviously was asking me, the bloke up in Warrington, for different condiments on it that were probably going to in, enhance the taste. And I said, no, nah, mate, don't worry, I just want a normal kebab. And a normal kebab in Warrington certainly wasn't the normal kebab I'm used to. And I ended up with just a few slithers of meat um, in, a, uh, in a container. Uh, and it was bad. Oh my. And I probably would have given it to my dog, to be honest. But uh, that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you throw, me a, you throw me one food question a week, Smith, and I'll be happy to answer it. We'll do that. We'll absolutely do that. Um, uh, just to finish, just to finish you off and get things back on an even keel. Uh, Rory's come in with a late text to say, "What on earth are the Bulldogs doing at fullback and in their halves, Fossey?" Yeah, that's my question mark on them. Fullback and halfback uh, for this season. They've recruited so well around, but in those two vital positions in their spine, I still have question marks. You know, again, competent players, but can they be star players? Can they be players? that can take the team to the finals. Uh, my my short answer is no at this point. There's a lot of improving to be done, um, and it has only been trials for the Bulldogs. One win, one loss. Uh, but yesterday left the fans just a little hollow, I think, feeling a little hollow after it, that perhaps it's not a false storm because they will, they will be better, but are they better to the degree of finals football? Um, Want to see the first few rounds of the season proper before, you know, making any bold statements about the Bulldogs. Good on you, Vossi. Uh, great to catch up with a real all-round interview. Uh, welcome back. We can't wait to hear on uh, Monday on a regular basis for us. Uh, have a good week, mate. Thank you. Yeah, will do. And, uh, yeah, what about the sweep fest? Hey, Smithy, have you seen anything like it? Your captain comes out, sweeps first ball. The number 11, what does he do? Second ball after four other batsmen out, he sweeps. Smithy, <laughs> help us, help us. I well, I've never seen an Australian side pick one quick bowler. Um, probably the only reason they picked him, because he's captain. Um, and I think for the first time in a long time, um, in terms of on-the-field issues, Pat Cummins is under some severe pressure. Severe yeah. pressure. Yeah, well said, mm. Smithy. Well said. My, my, Have a great that's week. That's my take on it. Yeah, same to you, man. Same to you. Thank you very much. That is uh, Vossi, of course. It is 11.22 here. 11.22 on our SENZ and uh, John Rahm leads by one shot with four holes to go we'll be back very shortly with a visit to the sports desk parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. 11.28 to what is making waves uh, on the sports desk this morning. Let's uh, get straight across to Logan Swinkles with our latest. Well, a lot of golf, but first, Smithy, uh, just to reconfirm what you may have missed on the panel earlier in the show, uh, this from Gary Stead. He has confirmed that Matt Henry will rejoin the test squad in Wellington following the birth of his first child last week, so congrats to him. And his wife, Jacob Duffy, and East Sodi have been released from the squad to play Plunkett Shield cricket later this week. Also, Kyle Jamison will undergo surgery later this week for a back stress fracture, which will rule them out for the remainder of the home season, Smithy? We'll rule them out for quite some time, I would mm. imagine. It's a big 
big long back which will take some real rehabilitation so don't expect to see Kyle Jamieson anytime soon and of course um, because this is the last test of the home summer those guys that are released back to the Plunkett Shield that's it for them so uh, right, yeah that's basically the truth behind that and uh, the, we mentioned golf before we heard about Danny Lee reportedly joining Live Golf he's one of two players from the PGA Tour set to make their move the other is the USA's Brendan Steele as they look to join the DP World Tour still what Thomas Peters uh, according to ESPN now I've been digging a little bit deeper into this Smithy and you think about it Danny Lee turned pro uh, all the way back in 2009, he only has one PGA Tour win to his name. But the unbelievable thing here is the longevity of his career. He has made, according to SpotRack, a career earnings of $15.4 million. US. US, but you put that in New Zealand dollars. Either way, that's insane. Uh, but if he is making that move to live golf, one thing after doing a little bit of digging that I found interesting here, this is according to Secret Tour Pro, he is not going to be joining live golf full time. He will not have full time status. He is going to join live golf on a three tournament deal. And live golf are expected to make more signings throughout the year with numerous rumoured players distancing themselves from said rumours, Liv are now flirting with the idea of having three permanent team members, remember they they do teams, then having one guest player per team per event, and that guest player will be selected by draft at the opening event party. And this idea is likely to be trialled at certain events starting at the Centurion in London in July. So you imagine if Danny Lee is only on a three-tournament deal, they're about to start their season in Mexico uh, this week, actually, starting from February 24. Then it's on to Tucson, Orlando, then Adelaide. So I don't know if he's signing this deal early enough to make it to Mexico. Maybe that third tournament is Adelaide, Smithy. And maybe he goes up against uh, Cameron Smith. Yeah, I don't get this. Um, uh, the Thomas Peters one is an interesting one. They, they were talking about um, certainly close to seven figures for him. To, to jump across. He's a much more highly rated golfer mm. uh, than Danny Lee. Uh, Brandon Steele is a very handy uh, PGA Tour player, would have earned a lot of money um, as, a, as a, what do you call him, a journeyman as such. But uh, for Danny Lee, he'd uh, explored it, I guess. Um, you know, he, he really does play each PGA season with his fingernails going down the side of the, the blackboard, really trying to hold on to his status. Yeah. Um, so I suppose um, if that's the case, it's a straight out money issue. There'll yeah. be no glory in it for him. Um, and so uh, that'll be that. Uh, no, incidentally, John Rahm on the, on the 16th has just knocked it stiff. And when I say stiff, about a foot and a half on a par three, uh, nearly holding one. So uh, he's going to have at least a two-shot lead with two holes to go. Sorry, Logan? Uh, and just to add on to that, because Danny Lee's situation to me reminds me a lot of uh, Ian Poulter's. I mean, you know, different ages, but the same kind of thing, trying to hold on to their PGA Tour career. You know, if you don't make a cut in the PGA, you don't make any money. Well, there's no cuts in live golf, and so you make money regardless of your performance. So perhaps that is a factor, but I do find the three-tournament deal thing rather interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more info on this. Yep, we too. Uh, we'll uh, find out as much as we possibly can. Uh, it is 11.32 here, so a little late to the news, but what we can say is please ring us now on 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. It's time to uh, be stumped by Smithy if you can avoid that. 
Uh, you walk away with $100 from the TAB. What a great way to start the week. It is uh, 11.33, and here's uh, time for the news with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And after Friday stumping, Smithy has got the total up to $100 TAB bonus bet. That is what is up for grabs. And today, Smithy, we have three great batters ready to go. They've got their pads. They've got their bats. But now, can they avoid a stumping, Smithy? Well, it'd be a nice way to start the week with 100 bucks, isn't it? Uh, I'd love that. I can't have that money in my phone account right now. I can promise you that. Uh, so uh, who have we got first up and what are the categories, uh, Logan? First at the crease from Cambridge, it's Kevin. Come in, mate. How you going, guys? We're good, Kev. We're very good, um, as well as we can be anyway in uh, some areas. But uh, having said that, uh, we're talking sport here. Uh, how'd your weekend go? Uh, yeah, no, it's quite good. Like I say, it's a bit hard to be out and join the weather at the moment when you think of the poor people down your way and you think, God, how did all that happen? But yeah, it would. Um, but no, I had a good weekend overall. That's excellent, mate. Right, categories, Logan? Right, love to hear it. The categories to choose from today, Kevin, are they're all real quality staples of the game of stumped golf, cricket, and rugby. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, let's go. Let's go rugby. Whoa. All right. Good luck. Yeah, Super Rugby season is almost upon us. First question for you, Kevin. On August 26th this year, the All Blacks are scheduled to play South Africa. At what famous venue will they play? Ah. There's only two tests this year. And I know one's in Dunedin, but I don't think it's them. Where else are we playing? It's not Eden Park. Uh, where's the other game at? Because it's, it's to do with the Soccer World Cup, isn't it? The old, some stadiums aren't available, I think. Oh, going to take a guess. South Africa, they could be playing them. Oh, let's go. Let's go, Waikato. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No offence to FMG Stadium, Smithy, but I don't know if I'd really call it uh, a famous venue. Do you have oh, the answer? Oh, oh, maybe. Logan, you don't want to go down to Hamilton for a while on the back of that. <laughs> oh, KJ. Hey, I, KJ I've got history. I got history KJ in Hamilton. Yeah, you'll have some bad history if you keep that up. <laughs> uh, but I... I I, I do believe this. Uh, I do believe it is in Auckland, but because of the requirements, it has to be held at Mount Smart Stadium. One of the worst things I have ever oh, seen no. done on a cricket field. Oh, Again, no, no discredit to Mount Smart Stadium, but you guys are thinking too close. We're thinking August. It's right before the World Cup. The answer I was looking for was Twickenham. Ah. <sighs> What? Oh, I threw Smithy a curveball. I put him off the. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Nasty little the... edge there, Kevin. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Second nasty question. Little, nasty little quiz master. <coughs> <Moving on. laughs> 
<laughs> Second question. Um, what two teams open round one of Super Rugby Pacific on Friday? Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, no, it's not the Chiefs. Let's go. Let's go Blues in Moana Pacifica. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, I know the Super Rugby calendar is one that you've been looking forward to. Do you have the answer? No, I don't. Um, I'll go. Um, I'll go Blues and I'll go Blues Hurricanes. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Razors crew, the Crusaders versus the Chiefs was the answer I was looking for. Okay, fair enough. I can see Araha in the background smacking her hand on her head thinking, you are so thick, Ian. You are so thick. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I also yeah. hope you can't hear her because I can hear her shouting out the answers in the background. <laughs> right, okay. She might have to help me out on this one. Right, question three. Question three, Kevin. This is a $100 TAB bonus bet. Former Crusaders wing Kina Naholo has a new rugby, Super Rugby home for 2023. What franchise has signed the former schoolboy standout and brother of Waisake? Is it the Hurricanes? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Hey, Kevin, you got one. A couple of nasty little edges there, and you, then you smacked one for six on the last ball. Nice work, mate. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, uh, Smitty. Yeah. Yes, Kevin. What I'd like to do, though, um, I'd like to donate it to someone down your way, so you must have a contact with some... Uh, Punters who have had a bit of a hard week, so I'll leave it to you to put it well, into someone's account. Kevin, that's extremely generous. Uh, off the top of my head, I've got no one individual, but um, Brian, if you stay on the line with Brian um, and uh, make the arrangements there. And um, in all honesty, um, it's a great, it's a great uh, gesture. The hun- the hundred bucks is a great, a great donation, and uh, we- we'll sort out a home for it, mate. And uh, I really do appreciate it. And there's no compulsion to do that. At all, it was off your bat, so uh, we really do appreciate that gesture, mate. Thank you so much. No worries, pleasure. You have a great week. Thank you very much. It's uh, Kevin from uh, Cambridge, folks, and that is the spirit. That is the spirit. As I said, there's no compulsion to have to do that. Uh, certain people are in certain uh, certain circumstances, but um, that is a terrific gesture. A terrific gesture. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SENZ. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, a text or two. Uh, This has come in from Craig and Craig has said, uh, uh, Hi Smithy, I definitely find a place for Phillips in my team. That's Glenn Phillips of course, so he'd go with Latham, Conway, Williamson, Young, Mitchell, Phillips at six. Blundell at seven, uh, Bracewell at eight. I mean, that is a lot of batting. It's a serious amount of batting. Uh, and then he's saying, let's go Henry, Southey, uh, Bolt if possible, not going to happen. Uh, so go Tickner as opposed to Kugeline. Uh, so that's um, not that far removed from the side that the, has just played and played poorly. Uh, it means that uh, Nichols goes uh, out of his lot and uh, also uh, you drop a bowler and, uh, in the place of trying to strengthen your batting as such. You want... Mitchell and uh, Phillips to pick up some of the bowling slack. Uh, certainly they'd have to find some, but there are four bowlers there, four specialist bowlers. 
But the problem I have is I don't class Bracewell yet. Um, as good as he has been and as much talent and, and the aggression, they call him the beast because he's a big guy. Um, sure, that's good, but he, he's not a test spinner. Not for my way of thinking, not yet. And I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised about that. It, it, it takes forever to develop test spinners. It takes a long, long time. Every now and then you'll get one which will, um, like this uh, fellow Murphy, who will actually find a way to do uh, some miraculous things, and Todd Murphy has done just that. But then uh, you'll find there's a levelling out period um, in terms of uh, their ability to uh, sustain attack from the opposition. There's a levelling out. People find out a lot more about Todd Murphy than I'm a good deal better now than they used to. Um, and uh, the surprise element has long since disappeared for uh, Todd Murphy and for Kuhneman. Uh, and India are finding that out, and so are Australia at their own cost. Um, so Michael Bracewell, to me, hasn't reached that period yet because he hasn't taken a hat full of wickets in a test innings. So I don't see Michael Bracewell as being, uh, if you're going to have four bowlers only, um, you, you can't afford to have one of them as being Michael Bracewell, I'm afraid, not at this particular point in his uh, own development. Uh, let's have a look at um, one from George Smith. He doesn't being a pro athlete means getting paid. Danny Lee is guaranteed to be paid coming last on an LOV tour event while there is no payment on the PGA tour. Exactly right. Exactly right. In terms of uh, long, uh, in terms of just a straight out money decision, you couldn't get a better one uh, from Danny Lee's point of view. He's not a contender anymore. He is a straight out tradesman, a journeyman. He can't string four good rounds together to threaten uh, any any of the title holders these days. Uh, at best, he's going to make the cut uh, and make uh, you know no forty fifty thousand dollars, which is <coughs> not too bad money. I, I, I might just say by the by, it's not too bad a money. Uh, from his point of view, but all of a sudden he can uh, triple, quadruple that in a weekend of golf by being part of a team, a team, uh, then you'd have to say, uh, go for it. Go for it, Danny Lee, but uh, I wouldn't imagine you're going to find uh, too much uh, support um, back in New Zealand. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Zane has come in and said, um, and that was, uh, I think, targeting Kempe. Biggest issue for me with the Warriors is a complete lack of kicking ability. It's not that hard, so I don't get why we're so poor. And to make it worse, neither Martin or Metcalf have a recognised kicking game either. They're talking about Sean Johnson, who apparently uh, I did not see that match. I'll be watching a lot more uh, Warriors footy uh, this season, I promise you that. Uh, but I, I will. Um, I, I, I was not uh, privy to the Sean Johnson performance, but it sounded a little bit like we've heard it all before in, in terms of his performance. Uh, Adam has come in. Adam, thanks very much. Uh, Latham, Young, Williamson, Conway, Phillips at five, Mitchell, Blundell, Southey, Henry, Duffy, and Sodi. Well, uh, that's your lineup. Um, and uh, uh, Jacob Duffy's an interesting one on Plunkett Shield form. Uh, he probably deserves a go ahead of uh, a couple of others, uh, but I like that. So you would leave Bracewell out altogether. You leave out Nichols altogether as well. And Matt Henry uh, obviously comes back in with the experience. Um, he's been a good performer. So there you go. Uh, that's Adam's team. Won't happen, of course, because Duffy and uh, has been released. Um, and, and I find that quite odd. But there you go. Um, right. It is uh, 11.50. I like having those bowlers around, even if it's uh, for anything, nothing else apart from net practice against quality. 11.52 here. We'll be back with staff very shortly.